Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. This podcast is not brought to you by ATEC, but all of our college baseball ones are, so I encourage you still to go to ATECsports.com. ATEC win every practice. It's just a habit, J.J. It's going to be a habit of every podcast. But we haven't done a, a non-college podcast in a couple of weeks. Pretty busy time of year, obviously, but uh, we, we're going to remedy that. We also want to let people know we are going to be off this week on uh, SiriusXM. We will not have our usual Sunday night show. I uh, hope to be back on SiriusXM as soon as we are contractually able to go back on SiriusXM. We'll just put it that way. Uh, but a, a Baseball America podcast, we're going to talk a little professional baseball today. Uh, I, don't, I haven't done that in a couple weeks. But we'll also have a lot of draft talk in the second half of the podcast when Connor Glassy uh, hops in the podcast nook. Uh, but, J.J., the major league season and the minor league season both are well underway as we're late in April. And kind of the, the, the news of the major leagues, to me, is that uh, from a Baseball America's perspective, is that the team that has the best minor league system in the game, with or without you, Darvish, we would have ranked the Rangers number one in our and that's, prospect that's rankings. That's an well important worth, distinction. Yeah, to make the point is, is that it's not a you, Darvish, that put them number one. They it were already number two without Darvish in the handbook before the Nationals, before traded, the Nationals traded for their top 13 <laughs> prospects, one of whom, by the way, Tommy Malone, is off to a great start. Yes. He and really is. Tommy Malone might be worth talking about because you know JJ and I like to talk about pitching. We love pitching. But uh, but more importantly, more to the point, the Rangers at the major league and minor league levels again showing JJ why they have the best farm system, and then at the major league level showing you uh, it's hard to do this, but they have the best big league talent as well as the best minor league talent. And I mean, this is we're in a Rangers era, and I guess we all need to get used to it. And we we talked about that on the podcast coming into the season, like, hey, we think that the Rangers may be the best team in. The- big leagues and we feel very confident that they have the most talent in the minor leagues that's what what really is amazing about this is that you you take this team forward and you kind of ask the question of okay so what are you going to do well right now clearly there's not a whole lot of tweaking that you feel like you need to do at the big league level at this moment you're, right. you're 15 and 14 you're not saying oh well 15 what's four. Yeah. So what's our what's our big problems? Yeah. Where do we address our needs? I mean, and the com- funny thing is, is they do have needs. Yeah. Well, th- Mitch th- Moreland. The funniest thing is that you know you, there's the, we're in this era right now, JJ, where there's all these major league elite first basemen. Some who would even argue that these guys aren't elite. I'm looking at you, Albert Pujols. <laughs> but there are all these elite first basemen who are signing these enormous contracts. Whether it's Pujols, Prince Fielder, Joey Votto, and the you know there's this need to kind of, it feels like for teams to lock up these elite first basemen on these big contracts, and the Rangers, that's their one need. Uh, They aren't elite at first base, but they're so good everywhere else, it doesn't matter. And the thing about it is is that there's a couple of ways that they could deal with that as the season goes along if they need to. One one of which is, is let's see, you know, they've talked about with Michael, okay, hey, he could end up being, not that you wouldn't be wasting him in some way because he can play third, but... Adrian Beltre is pretty good over there, too, and he's locked up for a while. So then you can say, okay, well, if we need to, maybe at midseason Mike Olt's ready. And right. if not, again, if they need to go make a trade, this is a team that could trade away several prospects, and I don't want to say would never notice, but it's pretty close to that. Well, the crazy thing, thing to me is that these other clubs are, I mean, there's there's two ways you can look at first base. You know, I do think that as you look at recent history, most of your championship teams have had these elite first basemen. Whether you're talking about the Phillies with Ryan Howard, I know that there's an argument whether Ryan Howard's elite or not. But, but he's at the least, guy hits 40 home runs a year. That's well good. above average. Correct. Uh, they're they're well set at first base when they have a healthy Ryan Howard. Obviously, the Cardinals have won two World Series in the last you know six years, they and they had Albert one. Pujols, the best he's first baseman of all time. Yeah. Um, you, you think you most of your other championship teams, and you know, when the Red Sox won a World Series in 2007, Kevin Euclid was their first baseman. Um, they obviously also got profile production at other corner spots with guys like Manny Ramirez and then your DH spot with David Ortiz. And the Yankees, when they won it in 2009, Mark Teixeira. You know, most of your championship clubs have had elite first basemen. The Rangers have been a championship team the last two years in terms of the American League pennant, but haven't had really an and, elite And the thing with that is, is that we've talked about this in previous podcasts. One of the things that gives you the ability to do that is if you don't have an elite first baseman, are you getting first base production right. from non-traditional positions? Are you getting first base production from positions that normally are 
okay, if we can get at league average production for that position. Right. Do you have a catcher hitting like a first baseman or a center Mike fielder Napoli. hitting like it? Exactly. Josh Hamilton. Right. Do you have a second baseman hitting like a first baseman? Ian right. Kinsler. And they have, they have multiple positions right. where they have a guy who you say, okay, well, we're getting way more production than most teams get from that position. Their corner power is probably still above average when you're if you have Hamilton on left, if you're counting him as your left fielder, Nelson Cruz on right, Adrian Beltre at third base. They have, if not the best left fielder, one of the small handful. If you're getting, if you're considering ha- Hamilton, I would say he, I would take him over any left fielder personally. Um, Especially because he is, again, the thing that's great about this is that this is also versatility they have. Right. Mike Napoli's not going to catch 140 games for them, but they certainly come, don't need him to. Yeah, they don't need him to. Come playoff time, though, if you need him to catch seven in right. a row, well, you can. He's your Josh Hamilton. We've seen this now. If they don't find a, a better center fielder. There's no reason to not say, you know, right. hey, Josh, we want to get you 100 games and left, ideally, during the season. We're still going to make the playoffs with that. And then come playoff time, though, you know what? We always can just move you back to center if we have a better option in left. That's their other, I guess, issue, I would say, on their roster is where they're going to do it center field. And they've tried to address that, and uh, Julio Borbones kind of had his chance and failed. Uh, I'm not even sure if he's in their future plans or not. doesn't appear to be. Craig Gentry's a nice extra outfielder. Um and then you have Leonis Martin is kind of the guy who, you know, I, I guess is the most he's, he's likely a, internal regular. Who is having a, a better start than last year right now. Now, the thing is, right now, Hamilton Hamilton started 13 games in center right now this right. year. Right. So he's their regular center fielder. He's right now right their now. regular center fielder. I know that their intention is, is they would like to keep him from playing. I, I don't think they want to play him 130 games in center if they can avoid it. Definitely but, not. But right now they can't avoid it, and that's okay. He's just. You, know, you put him in center, and he becomes arguably the best center fielder in the game. Yeah, it's a nice problem to have. And, again, that's their next kind of long-term contract they have to figure out is what to do with Josh Hamilton, J.J. I mean, that's obviously they'll kind of get to that when they when they need to get to it, but that's a pretty tough, uh, especially with the way the market, the, the market for slugging players has gone. You see what all these first basemen are getting. I mean, Josh Hamilton's better than Prince Fielder to me. He's better than Joey Votto, but he also is a much bigger X-factor than you those guys from a health standpoint and obviously off-the-field makeup standpoint. And you do have the concern. You can argue in some ways he's he's a young 31 because he hasn't played that man as much baseball, but the reality yeah. is, is he's an old 31 considering his background and all. And you do have that question, okay, if you said you're locking up Josh Hamilton for the next two to three years, hey, I think you're running that risk. Right. You got a, you're talking about an MVP caliber talent, and that's you're willing to spend a lot of money to do that. If you're saying a lot of these deals we've seen lately, I mean, if we go by the the current trends, you're locking up Josh Hamilton through probably his age 40 season. I mean, that's the current trend. <laughs> that is the current trend. You're right. If that's the case, uh, if I mean, I'm, they're both. They're all. They're, all these contracts are too long. But who would you rather sign to a 10-year deal? Joey Votto, I understand it's a 12-year deal. But Joey Votto, Albert Pujols, or Josh Hamilton? And and I'm going to go Votto the first of that because he's, I the agree. Young, he's the, for one, he's the youngest. Right. He's the one of these he's three He's the guys. most Canadian. <laughs> he's the one of these three guys who you say, okay, there's a chance that his peak still has several years left at the peak. The Albert Pujols, not that because he struggled early on and all, but we were already seeing in St. Louis, not that he's still not a great player, but you probably – Logically, we're talking about a guy who's basically spent a decade in the big leagues. Right. Logically, you've seen the best of Albert Pujols. Correct. The whole question now is, how long can he stay close to that level of greatness? I'm not panicking on his poor start, but it's he had a poor start last good, year too. I mean, right. But it's certainly not a good sign. And the biggest problem with his poor start is that the entire Angels team. Has this poor start, JJ? How far back are they already? They're like nine games back of the right, Rangers already. I mean, well, they're not out of it. Well, it's and April. They, and the other thing being that the reality of it is, is that with now two wild card teams, right? You're you if you're the Angels, you may look at this and say, "Yeah, okay, I see those taillights up there, and I have a pretty right. good idea that I may never see. You know, we may not see that car on the rest of the trip. Right. And there's a chance of that. The Rangers are good enough. Obviously, they're not going to. They're not going to win 15 out of every 20 games for the rest the entire season. But More than likely not. This is not fantasy baseball. But they are good enough that you could say, okay, we. If you're the Angels, you may say, yeah, Angels six and 13. You may say, okay, 
we may not catch them. We're nine back. Right. You can't give nine games to a team like the Rangers and expect. You give up nine games, either you know, already the Angels are going to have to play an insane level of baseball the rest of the year, or basically have the Rangers pull a Braves. And right, and that's just not, that's just not really likely. One, one other thing I wanted to go uh, talk about a little bit with the Rangers farm system is and they've got a pretty exciting double-A club. We've talked about Michael Jerks and Profar also there at double-A. Uh, neither of those guys off to tremendous starts in terms Justin of hitting Grimm for average. Great there. Uh, and then yeah. that's where I was going to go. Like, we talk about their hitters. Both Profar and Alt off the great starts power-wise. Alt's already got five home runs, although he struck out and one out of every three at-bats. But their pitching, J.J., is, to me, kind of the, the story for them so far on the minor league side. And that, uh, you know, you just mentioned Justin Grimm was the guy I was going to hit on. But, you know, we... I think everyone talks about their knows about their elite hitting prospects. There's some arms percolating but, up. Well, through we, and we Texas didn't talk well. enough about them, to be honest, at the big league level either. The reason that <laughs> the Rangers me. are, we talk about how they have all these guys at different you know positions. They also, you Darvish has arguably been their worst starter, and you Darvish is coming off of an excellent yeah. start. The start against the Yankees was a lot of fun to watch because his stuff was awesome. And that's what if you Darvish, hey. I'm not shocked that it takes a couple of starts for one. You're facing an immense amount of pressure there. Yeah, oh, no doubt. You know, okay, it took him a couple of starts to get straightened out. If you Darvish is where we expect you Darvish to be, yeah, I'm sure that you'll have a little bit of backing up But the reality, you know, from some of these other guys. But the reality of it is, is that the Rangers, compare them. Like, we talk about, compare them to the Angels or the Yankees or the Tigers. Yeah. Or really take anyone in the AL besides the Rays. They probably they may have a deeper pitching staff, starting pitching staff. I think you're probably right about that, actually. I and they really have options. We talked about this in a previous podcast. Oh, okay, someone got hurt. Well, I guess we need to put Ogando back in the rotation. <laughs> right, right. They have options like that. They have options at the low, you know, in the minors. You, Neil Ramirez is in AAA, and if you look, there are a lot of teams where Neil Ramirez would be potentially. We talked about with the Rays, like you're right. That's a great Torres point. or Cup. Neil Ramirez, if you had an injury and you said, okay, well, we need a guy to give us five starts while this guy's on the DL, you could bring up Neil Ramirez, and especially on a team like that where you're not saying we need you to be an ace, we need you to be a solid fifth starter, Neil Ramirez could probably fill that role right now. I agree, and I hadn't and thought about that. And that's a team that traded point. away Joe Wheeland and Robbie Erland, who would be options one, two, or one, or two and three. Right, Joe Wheeland already in a big league, yeah. uh, got a big league start in, in San Diego. And then, you know, to me, again, a double A, you mentioned Justin Grimm. Barrett Lauk's off to a great start there, uh, the Texas A&M. Uh, former Texas A&M pitcher. You've got uh, you've got like Luke Jackson, high draft a couple of years ago off to a great start in A ball. Um, you know, Cody Buckle, who's in their well, top ten again off to a great start in A ball, striking getting a lot of strikeouts. And we've talked about this. This is you know we wrote a feature about this not that long ago. If you want to point, say what has happened that's made the Rangers this behemoth of a franchise, as great as their lineup is, they've had great lineups. That, you know, and they're, they're in the park where you're going right. to score runs. They've scored runs before. That's not new. They've never had pitching before, and that and we and give credit. This is when you make when you go against conventional wisdom. Right. You run risks, but you also the teams that do that usually. There's two options. Either it's the teams at the very bottom who. Well, this isn't conventional wisdom's not working for us, right. so let, we'll throw We're something at the wall. We're all going Mike Marshall. That right. hasn't happened yet. But I'll say this: you know what? If you're a if you're a nightmare of a team, you could run that. You're, say the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you did something like that, hey, you you maybe you do find an advantage. Maybe you don't, but maybe right. you do. Conventional, you know, but then the other end of the spectrum is the team where a front office, a very a front office that for one, has developed the credibility to where they feel like, okay, we don't have to do things. It's always safer to do things conventionally. Because right. if things don't work out and you did them conventionally, you can kind of, okay, well, this didn't happen or this didn't happen, right. and there's a lot of blame to be spread around. When you go out there and do things and say, we're going to do things different than the industry, and they don't work out, yeah, you're, you're generally going to get pointed scrutiny. out, oh, that's what you know. That's why it did. Absolutely. There are going to be Rangers, a lot of people in the industry who are going to line up to point out to reporters how you were wrong and how you defied convention and you got burned for it. And the Rangers were very public about we're changing how we develop pitching. And you look at it and you have to say, um, thumbs up. They've, yeah, that, absolutely. And it's interesting now. There are a lot more teams who are – 
what the Rangers did to buck conventional wisdom a couple of years ago is now becoming the conventional wisdom. I think so, and I think you see it. I actually got a text from a scout the other day about uh, about Michael Pineda's injury when he got hurt with the Yankees. It was like, well, you know, Yankees throwing programs pretty restrictive. They are not a big distance throwing organization. They're very different from what Seattle does. Seattle's a little bit uh, more loose. The Yankees are a little bit more regimented, and that person was pointing out, especially when you, th- when which, you think which, regimented so in baseball, you think Joe Girardi. So what I'm you're, sorry. So what you're pointing out there is, is that basically we talked about it. Like if the Rangers had screwed up, we'd have gotten contact from people saying, oh, they buck conventional exactly. wisdom. Exactly. Now, now you're getting people saying, saying, oh, look, the Yankees, they're bucking conventional wisdom. They're doing it the old way. That's right. They are doing it kind of a, a traditional way. That has generally worked for the Yankees. They've developed pitching fairly well. That said, they have had guys like Jabba Chamberlain and uh, Phil Hughes who were good to a point, and then they've had several guys now, especially I'm looking at you, Ian, Ken- uh, Ian Kennedy, who got a lot better when he got away from New York. I mean, a lot better. So, no, And the Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are different from the Yankees in terms of not being regimented, having very individualized The Diamondbacks plans. are probably the most, like, what and works Them and the you. Rangers. Them yeah. and the Rangers. Yeah. And who's, and you know, both of them were in the playoffs last year, and... In terms of pitching, those are two organizations well, that have all kinds of depth. The best thing to put it with is, is that and a lot of when you talk about regimented, you know, there were the Java rules and all that. The reality exactly. is there were the same rules for Phil Hughes. Right. Those didn't work for them. No. And that's, <laughs> I mean, the reality of it is, is that, you know, we've seen, I mean, there's still a lot of thought in baseball that, okay, if you bump a guy up too many innings too quickly, you're going to cause massive problems. At the big league level, at least, I know that there's talk about the Verducci effect. No one, including Tom Verducci, has actually ever rigorously proven that that's true. And there's a lot of studies out there that seem to indicate, no, it's not. I agree. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Uh, JJ, one other thing I want to touch on in the the major leagues, uh, there's been a lot of brain and belt talk. And... Now, with the unfortunate way for Brandon Belt to actually get his playing time, we talk about elite first baseman. Aubrey Huff hasn't thought of that way, but he was elite, an elite production guy in 2010 when the Giants won the World Series. And now he's on the disabled list basically with anxiety problems, which is uh, surprising considering this is the guy who had the red thong in 2010. <laughs> that was kind of his shtick. Um, so, obviously, uh, best wishes to Aubrey Huff in his recovery and kind of getting his house in order, but it does – give where one door closes another one opens and it gives Brandon Belt a chance to play regularly finally um I think a lot of us just really just want to see what's going to happen you know, Brandon Belt blazed through the minor leagues so quickly it was kind of a divisive prospect in that you had to wonder how much of his production was really Cal League related we'd seen some Cal League kind of frauds before I know you and I especially you uh, believed more in Brandon Belt than say uh, some other people here at the office did and the company did uh, what do you expect from Brandon Belt now uh, getting an everyday chance in San, in San Francisco? Well, the, the key thing with this is I do think you, if it's almost – there's understandably been a lot of, like, why is Brandon Belt not playing more? I understand right. that. The one danger with that is, is that I hope that doesn't bring with it the expectation that Brandon Belt is going to come in and all of a sudden produce a Buster Posey year. Right. A Buster Posey rookie year. Right. I don't think he's going to do that. What I do think he's going to do is he's going to get on base, he's going to hit for some average – when I was talking to guys the year that Belt broke out, you know, did a story on him that April or May, yeah. and guys who loved him, the point they made is, is don't think of him, you know, he, he's not a 35 home run guy. Right. What he is is a high average, he, basically great defensive at first base. The, the, the comp I got was a better JT Snow. Yeah, okay. And that's... Same word comp. You know, like and it. that's not and and what he means by that is, is I mean better. Let's let's emphasize this. Better JT Snow, the defense around first, hitting in the gaps, hitting for average, getting on base with some pop. Right. I do think there maybe is a little expectation there's going to be more pop than that, especially in that ballpark. I don't expect him to slug 500 this year or anything like that. Right. I wouldn't be shocked at all though to see him you know hit 290 with a 360, 370 on base with some doubles power, which. The reality of it is, is that is probably, if Aubrey Huff is fully healthy, it's probably more you're going to get from Aubrey Huff at this point. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, this is a guy who it sounds like has a chance to be kind of a pure hitter you know, at, the, at the major league level. The guy hit 343 in the minor leagues. I know he played some offensive context. 
But three forty three. But he played some. He played some in Double A, which Richmond, that double correct. Yeah, that's, that's not an easy park. In Eastern League in the middle of summer is still not. I mean, it's more offensive, but it's still not an easy place to hit. Um, and he's kind of the one guy that the Giants have had offensively, who's come through their farm system, obviously, <coughs> other than Posey, obviously, who didn't get slowed down really by Double A. I mean, right now it's kind of slowing down Gary Brown. You know, it's slowed down a lot of their guys who went from Cal League to then that. Uh, offensive environment to pitcher's environment. Well, i got to ask you also, so do you think, you know, we, we'll be bailing on this for too long because i got to do some hot sheet stuff. Yes. But, uh, but the Nationals, do you think they can – I mean, you look at the you look at the East right now. I and do. You say, you say, okay, the Phillies, they got a great rotation, but that's not a juggernaut right now. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and they're not pitching any better than Washington. And, you know, the Braves have been a little bit better than we uh, than I thought this year. And, you know, good to see Jason Hayward hitting. It's good to see Freddie Freeman hitting. Still good to see Chipper Jones still hitting, uh, still playing defense at third base at a fairly high level, especially for a 40-year-old. By the way, when you say that, it's like it's whenever I listen to a, uh, a Braves game, like on the radio, like on, you know, MLB at bat or yeah. anything like that. No it's skip. Hard. It's weird. It's not just no skip. It's like, who are these guys? Yeah. No, it is weird how the Braves uh, broadcasts have changed over the years. First of all, they used to be everywhere. Now they're nowhere. Uh, not nowhere, but obviously on, on – uh, they're, they're just not as they're ubiquitous not pervasive they used anymore. to be. Yeah, exactly. You used to be not able to avoid them. Um, but, yeah, I actually think the Nationals are going to be for real. And, I, you know, I expect their offense to get – it's got to get better. I saw a stat this morning that Mark uh, – I think it was Mark Zuckerman tweeted out. Their uh, left fielders are hitting 097 <laughs> as a club. So you and, and that's not Mike even Morse. the position that's supposed to be the big pro- – you know, I mean, I know yeah. they're losing Morse right now, but center field was the one we've been talking about for so long with them. Right. You expect Mike Morse to come uh, to come back at some point, And then, obviously, you know, you have to give – a little credit where it's due to Jason Worth. He's having a, uh, he's off to a good start. Uh, I expect their offense will get better. Their pitching will regress a little bit, but I believe in their pitching. I mean, what's not to like about their pitching staff? Uh, I know that they're going to come back to earth somewhat, but the guy who's kind of been the difference maker the, to me there is Ross Detweiler. The other guys you kind of knew. You had the young power arms. You know what you get with Gio Gonzalez. He's durable. He walks a lot of guys. He strikes out a lot of guys. Uh, you know what you're going to get in Edwin Jackson. But to me, Ross Detweiler is the guy who was the unknown, and he's off to a great start. And, and he was a first-round pick. He was, what, the sixth overall pick in 2007? So and, and it's good to see him uh, scratching the surface there of his, of his talent. What's awesome, I know it's early in the season, they do not have a starting pitcher in the rotation who's allowing more than one base runner in inning. Right, right. I it's mean, a that's a, you know, that's – and with the exception of Jordan Zimmerman, everyone's striking out right around nine guys, you know, uh, per per nine, which – it, it is. It's a staff. That's it's built to be. It's built to be very good. To me, they also have some depth. I know that John Lannon doesn't like being in AAA. Right, but that's. But they're going to need him at when, some point. That's and, right. But that's where I think the Edwin Jackson signing because they didn't Perfect. sign. The great thing about that was that they didn't sign Edwin Jackson to be a one or a two. And right. If you did that, you're in bad shape. Right. Right. But if you sign Edwin Jackson to be a four, you for one thing, you likely know he's going to be your four because say this for Edwin Jackson. Every fifth day, he's he's out there. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he is. He he's is, giving you 120 pitches. He is durable. <laughs> That's right. And he is generally going to. He's going to have you days where he just drives you crazy, and he's going to have days where he just dominates. And he's going to have a lot in between. But but you by having by adding him by saying okay, we've got Strasburg, Gonzalez, and really, I mean, Zimmerman's a heck of a three. Yeah, Jordan Zimmerman's got a chance to be awesome. One of my all-time he, favorite BA stories, where he was uh, from our summer college league coverage when we. Had him in the Northwoods League as the number one prospect, and I was like, "This guy sounds way too good to be true." And it wasn't. It was true. He, he was. He was really that good at a Division three school, and uh, that's why we do all those summer college league lists because you find guys like him, and you find Steven Strasburg as the number one prospect in the New England Collegiate League, and you're like, "Yeah, this guy who we knew was a good freshman closer at San Diego State, he was even better than that." That was. I remember reading Ben Badler's NECBL top ten and being like. This guy sounds ridiculously legit. And he's like, yeah, I, I soft-pedaled it a little bit. Guys up there were a little bit almost overheated about him. And they weren't. They, they weren't were overheated. They were just properly heated. It was exactly right. So it's a Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. JJ, I'm going to let you go do some hot sheet. We're going to come right back and uh, have Connor Glassy and do some draft talk on the Baseball America podcast. Back on the Baseball America podcast, John Mayo now joined by Connor Glassy here in the podcast nook. And uh, Connor... Uh, draft season is full swing. We're all making a lot of draft calls. You're making a nice draft trip next weekend down to Puerto Rico, which will be, I guess, excellent since yes. it'll be excellent yes. games. Nice, nicely played. But uh, you've also made well. We've made a lot of draft trips uh, this spring already, and the big one really was 
Uh, you and uh, you know, your your uh, your your buddy Nathan Rohde. <laughs> we'll little buddy. The, we'll let the scouts fill in the gaps there. Uh, but but you and Nathan went down to uh, Georgia to see Byron Buxton, and we had Byron Buxton on last week's Baseball America show on SiriusXM. Again, I'll remind people we're not on this week, so uh, just uh, hold, we'll be in a holding pattern. But that's why we're doing this a, l- a little bit longer podcast. Um, but Byron Buxton. Just how good was this guy? Why why is this guy the number one prospect in this draft class? And is he good enough that he'd be number one in a lot of draft classes? Yeah, I mean he's uh he's thrilling to watch. It's it's really fun to watch him even against lesser competition. I mean, I think it's two uh, A down there, but you know, it's it's not very good competition, but small high school in other Yeah, words. yeah, in a in a small town, but he just I mean, he stands out. I mean, the first thing you notice, he stands out physically. He's got the best body on the field by far. Um, and then everything he does is easy. I mean, he makes everything look e- look easy, and he's got, um, you know, plus tools across the board. If not now, you know, you can project. I mean, I mean, he definitely has a plus arm right now. He's definitely a plus runner. Right. Covers a lot of ground out there in center field. You could say, you know, plus defense. Um, and he, he really hits. I mean, we the, – the surprising thing is that we – when we were down there, and I'm not actually sure if this is still the case right now, but he didn't have a home run yet on the season. Huh. Um, you know, he's just really lacing the ball into the gaps and, and basically hitting a lot of uh, doubles, a lot of triples. And even when he hits singles, everything's hit hard. And uh, he was perfect for stolen bases. You know, he was 21 for 21 when we were down there. And then I think when we talked to him last Last week on the XM show, he said he was 30 for 30. Right. Um, I mean, so he turns singles into triples. I mean, he just steals pretty much at will. So which comp do you like better? I mean, comps are a good way for people who have not seen a player to, as you wrote very well this offseason, to get a mental picture. So which comp do you like better, the blend of the Uptons comp or the Matt Kemp comp? Matt Kemp comp's almost... Uh, right now, that's the, best, that's the best player in Major League yeah. Baseball right now, so that's a pretty lofty comp. Sure. I mean, I, I, I like the the blend of the Upton brothers a little bit better because his body looks a little bit more like B.J. Upton. I mean, okay. he's got a slender Wiry. slender frame. So, you know, but going back to the power, I mean, scouts have seen it. You know, he, he was launching balls into the seats at Wrigley Field at the Under Armour game. Right. It's in there, and you can see it. You know, you can see... He gets some of that loft, gets the backspin and BP. It's just in the game, you know, he, he's, not he's just trying to, to hit the a. He's not getting pitched to. B, he's not facing the, the, quality pitching. The pitchers aren't helping him out at all. Exactly. Power, he's probably seen know. a lot of 78-mile-an-hour, quote-unquote, fastballs. Yes, yes. So, um, but, I mean, I was talking to a scout about that after after I went down there. I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't see a lot of power. And he's like, well, personally, he's like, I like, I like kids that can hit. And then, because you can teach power. I mean, the strength will come. You know, the the coaches in minor league baseball can teach loft, can Absolutely. teach, you know, that swing path. And as those kids get stronger, but you can't really, it's it's much harder to teach a guy to hit than it is to teach him how to hit for power. Natural so. timing is, you either have it or you don't. A lot of scouts think you either have timing or don't, you don't, he has it. So yeah. It's like, yeah. It sounds like really comparing him to last year, to, to Bubba Starling, he even though he's in the Georgia 2A, I still think actually South Georgia, there's a lot of good track record for South Georgia players. So that's got its positives. It's got its negatives as well. Uh, to me, that toughness is one of the things that really brings. When I talk to scouts in Georgia, and I've done that, uh, you know, as I'm doing our Southeast coverage, that's what sticks out to them. When they, you say South Georgia, they say toughness. Mm. This is not a silver spoon guy. As as we heard this year uh, when I was doing some college basketball uh, research, uh, a lot of, he's not a three-car three car garage guy. He's no. not a two-car garage guy. There's some toughness here that's in short supply in athletics. Uh, and, and thankfully, it's in short supply in our country. Well, you um, know, a lot of the trucks I saw down there, I don't think they fit in garages. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but there's there's a lot of toughness with Byron Buxton from what I hear. People love the makeup. But it sounds like comparing him to Bubba Starling, he's similarly athletic. Yes. Um, maybe not quite as athletic as Bubba Starling. I think that's probably – I think my, uh, I yeah, know he's I mean, fast twitch, but Bubba he's Starling. faster. I think he's faster. Okay. Um, and you know, I think the arm might even be a little bit better. They both have plus arms. Uh, I think Bubba has more present power. Okay. And and Bubba might have more feel for hit. I right say Bubba's now. probably a little bit more raw. 
Just because May- the yeah. two sport part Maybe. Of it? I mean, they're both from, you know, remote areas, but the other the other aspect, kind of the other edge of that is I think Bubba might have a little more natural leadership to okay. him. Okay. Okay. You know? A little more charisma. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, I could see that. I but see it, that. it's close. I mean, as far as Buxton being a number one in a lot of drafts, I mean, I think he's the number one this year because it's a little bit of a, a down year. Um, I mean, I think he could he would definitely be a, a top three, top five in pretty much any of the last few drafts. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Connor. Kind of the other kind of, uh, to me, um, it's not a cliff, but I mean, it's just, I think Mike Zanino is such a defined two right now, the catcher from Florida. Sure. There's no weakness there. Just talking to people in the SEC and in the Southeast, you talk about Zanino, people are just like, oh, man, he's just such a sure thing. I mean, like two uh, SEC coaches I talked to this week were like, he's just such a big leaguer now. You yeah. know, his I mean, you want to talk leadership. He's got it. <laughs> right. He has all the intangibles, plus all his tools are really solid. So I loved, I think it was your, maybe you heard it from someone, or maybe you threw kind of like a Jason Baratek type of player on him. With maybe a little bit more power. Uh, that was that was in Aaron's scouting. Oh, there you the, go. The, the thing he wrote. Credit where yeah. credit's due. Yep. That's that's. I, I love that comp for Mike Zanino. I'm not sure that's what you necessarily look for in the number two overall pick, but maybe even in the number one overall pick, that'd be pretty good value for a if you're getting a regular catcher for six to ten years. It looks like that's what Mike Zanino can be. To me, the big question still is that college right-hander clump. That yeah. comes next, where yeah. you know people like the teams like to draft college right-handers, Zimmer, Appel, Gossman, Waka, Stroman. I think those five guys deserve to be together. Stroman's the most spectacular of those guys, but he's he also the smallest of those guys by a lot. I mean, if you had to rank those five guys right now, your personal list, who would you go first? I'll tell you where I'm going mm. first. I think I would go Kevin Gossman, even though. His breaking ball is just average. I, I think he's got as much present stuff as any of those guys. The changeup's gotten better. The fastball control, I, I don't want to say command, but it's, he has better control of his fastball than he's had in the past. Probably he does have better command, but I, the I almost think... has gotten better. I mean, that's the thing that really stood out, um, and I haven't seen him in a while just from the summer. But, yeah. you know, that that's the thing is that his changeup was very good. It was his second-best pitch, maybe even his best pitch. And then the breaking balls were had gone backwards a little bit. I mean, right. he, he had a better curveball in, in high school. Yes. And now and again, he's kind of going between curveball slider. And he was doing it at, ele- at elevation, yeah. which is supposed to be harder to do. Well, I never. I mean, I never saw him. That, but, that was actually the knock, is that his curveball didn't look as good in the spring as it did in the summer, which maybe, I mean, should should have been expected. Right, right. But what, what I'm saying is, when you know, when I saw him at the showcase and stuff like that, the curveball was better than what I saw with Team USA last year. And I heard the same thing just as far as that. That summer, uh, going into like the 2010 draft class, mm-hmm. correct? He was a high school guy in the 2010 draft class. But there were some people coming out of that summer, and there's some clubs who had him. Okay, Jameson Tyon was a top guy. Kevin Gossman might have been number two for several clubs. Yeah. If he wasn't number two, he was in that two to five group. Yeah, he high was. High school yeah. arms. He was yeah. for everybody. And, you know, we, we used to talk about, like, yeah, the Greg Bird guy, the Yankees sign, yeah, he couldn't catch Kevin Gossman. Well, and that wasn't even a big knock on him because Kevin Gossman's stuff was electric. Yeah. So, to me, Gossman has track record. He's performing this year. He's the guy who's performing the best in the toughest league uh, for me. It's youth on his side. Right. I mean, I, yep. I, and I, I'm, I'm, maybe I shouldn't think this way. But to me, the fact that there's this long line of tall dudes from Colorado who are pretty good in the last 15 years, that helps me. That makes me think, okay, at the very least, this guy could be a Brad Lidge type. If not that, I mean, he's not going to be Roy Halladay. But there's been some really good you – know, he's going to be better than Luke Hochaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be better than Kyle Sleeth. You know, he's going to be better than a lot of these dudes. Who, David Ards going to be better than that. Um, that is reassuring to me that – been, there's a lot of guys you can point to, again, when you're looking for comparisons, who are big leaguers who have the same background as Kevin Gossman. I'm not saying he's better than these other guys. I think the other guys have all get, left an opening for Kevin Gossman to go one, two, or three. Maybe I'm crazy. I, I no, think I Kevin Gossman's think in that discussion are. at one overall. He is for me. Sure, sure. I mean, the other guy would be Zimmer, and I've actually been meaning to ask you this. I hope you don't mind if we do it on air no, here. But uh, I wasn't here for Foppert. For no, 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 for Brandon Morrow. Uh, I mean, okay. how do how do how do Morrow and Zimmer compare as far as their? Hmm. It sounds like uh, the stuff is pretty similar, but Zimmer might have a little bit better feel. 
Uh, that's a good question. You know, I think he's a little bit more athletic than uh, Brandon Morrow. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. The, the issues that Brandon Morrow had were, first of all, that he was not a guy who had ever started before 2000. I guess that was 2006, right? He'd never been a, a full-time starter. I remember people were knocking his routine. Okay. Just that he didn't have a consistent routine. So he was just as raw as a pitcher in that regard as Zimmer, maybe even a little bit more raw. Um, I do think the San Francisco pitching coach and their coaching staff is pretty well regarded. Uh, they had a first-rounder in Aaron Parade a few years ago. They've had some dudes come through there. Sure. Um, I don't think Cal, even though Cal has produced a lot of players, ha- is held in that same regard by local scouts and guys in the West. Mm-hmm. So that played in that plays into Zimmer's favor. I think that Zimmer's arm is just not as electric as Brandon Morrow. His stuff is just not as good. I know early he was 97-99 at times. I never heard of Brandon Mora being 89-92 like Aaron just saw him a week or two ago. Yeah. I just never heard of that. Yeah. The other X factor in there is that Brandon Mora's diabetic. Sure. That type 1 diabetes, juvenile diabetes. So, again, it's not a lifestyle thing like I'm headed for, but it's <laughs> – <laughs> oh, good God. That's frightening in my future. Um, but as type 1 – Scouts always have that question. I just I, every time a guy's diabetic, I hear that, and yeah. so that was in the back of people's minds. I also think that Moro um, almost got sold a little bit short that year because of how good Pac-10 pitching was that year. Right. Greg Reynolds right across the bay, Lincecum, Ian Kennedy. I know I'm leaving dudes out. Like David Huff was on Friday. Uh, I forget who Arizona, either Arizona or Arizona State had a dude. Uh, everybody in the Pac-10 had a dude yeah. that year. It was crazy how good the Pac-10 was in 2006 in pitching. But that's an interesting comp. Um, I think that Zimmer's probably a little bit uh, be- be- regarded a little bit below where Moro was that year because Moro's stuff as an amateur just came out so easy. The velocity was so easy. The ball just exploded out of his hand. The breaking ball did. So I, I see where you're headed. I think that's interesting comparison because of the athleticism yeah. and the kind of fast twitch I think is a good way to start that comp. But I think Moro was regarded a little bit higher uh, than Zimmer was, just because the consistency of his stuff uh, was better. But he did not have a consistent routine, and you never quite knew what you were going to get in terms of consistent performance with Moro, but the stuff was always there. So that's yeah. interesting. And okay. But this, this, but, good. but Michael Waka, like, uh, you know, Waka, Zimmer, Appel all kind of had their moments this year. Um, you know, Aaron saw Waka so good. Uh, against Pepperdine, and he carried that perfect game to the end of uh, what the eighth inning, ninth inning. Um, I always said that 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 affects me. Uh, Aaron was that was right there, and his write up on Waka was so positive. Uh, I, I've always got Waka kind of up there, and we still haven't had a report or a game. It feels like this year where Mark Appel was just what you wanted Dominate. him to be. I mean, we saw we saw Strowman's right, right. We did see you know? Strowman's valedictory performance, correct, yeah. against uh, uh, you know against George Washington. Uh, Marcus Stroman, the, uh, to me, his pitch was one of the first ten picks. Yeah. Um, is that the most surprising guy in the first ten to you, uh, Connor? Or is there another name that's jumping up? No, I think that is. That's the one. I mean, because I think entering the year, you know, I think a lot of teams viewed him as a, as a bullpen guy who was just going to start because it's, right. it's Duke. You know, right. I mean, um, everybody saw him so good with Team USA last year. I mean, he was <laughs> just as electric last year out of the bullpen or last summer with Team USA, I mean, up to 97 with just an unhittable slider. He was unhittable last yeah, year. Yeah. So, strike out 17 to 25 guys? Yeah, so, you, you know, you see that two-pitch combination, you see his size, it's easy to just say, yeah, bullpen, you know. But uh, he started this year, he's looked great, he's holding his velocity, he's mixing in, you know, a really good changeup and a cutter that's different from his slider. Right. That, I, um, I like I You like can't ignore feel. him as a starting pitcher anymore. To me, is that feel for adding an extra pitch and keeping that cutter separate from the slider and the addition of the changeup, which, again, in that George Washington game was so unfair. The first the first changeup he, he broke out, that hitter was like a foot and a half in front of that pitch. I yeah. mean, he was so early. Yeah. And the pitch had tumble and had action. To me, that, that additional feel is what makes me think that he can start. Even yeah. though I know he's short and I know he's going to have a flat plane, I mean – I'm not doing the Carolina, so I haven't asked a scout about a comp. But I mean, like Tom, the Tom Gordon comparison is always going to be thrown out there. I mean, does he have a chance to be? And then Tom Gordon had some success as a starter. Does he have a chance to be a Roy Oswalt? Is he 
does he, does he stay in that tall in his delivery? And you guys saw him against Brandon Klein. Uh, that comparison was interesting because Brandon Klein's so over the top with his yeah. arm, with his uh, release point and his slot, but Strowman you know, stands tall even though he has a little bit lower slot. Yeah, he does. And, I mean, the plane... The plane, you know, he doesn't get a lot of plane, like you said, but he his fastball is so explosive. It has it life has anyway. So, yeah, it has so much life and movement to it that I think, I mean, he's going to be able to get by. He can he can pitch up. He he's he pitches mean out there. He pitches in. Right. Uh, he hits his spots with his fastball. He throws his slider for strikes on both sides of the plate. I mean, he'll back guys up with it, or he'll throw it, you know, down and away to get him to chase. Again, feel for spin. <laughs> um, he has so much feel for spin. Yeah. That's how you go through a lineup several times, is that you have feel to manipulate the baseball so you can make it do a little bit different things. You can, you know, switch up your pitch pattern enough to go through a lineup three or four times. And, again, if you if that falls – if that does not work out, you have a pretty – dominant fallback option. Yeah, well, you know what I think is going to happen? I mean, obviously it's going to depend on which team takes him, but if a team takes him that's that's in it, I think he's right. going to be like Chris Sale. He'll be in the big leagues quick, he'll maybe start out in the bullpen, and then you move him back into the rotation. Which is awesome that he and Chris Sale could get to the same point with completely different bodies. Yes. <laughs> Chris Sale is his direct opposite. I mean, maybe the only way that they would be more opposites is if Stroman were like 40 pounds heavier. But I mean, because Chris Sale <laughs> yeah. is so rail thin and skinny. But uh, I love that these two guys from completely different bodies arrive at this same point. Mm-hmm. As the Baseball America po- podcast with John and Connor. And kind of one of the other things that's a, an issue in this draft is the position player depth. It feels like it all comes from the high school. Uh, standpoint the yeah. college the college position players I mean Devin Marrero having a down year I mean his OPS I think is like below 750 and that's a real offensive environment Victor Roach getting hurt Victor Roach getting hurt he got the he got the uh, cast off but it doesn't sound like he's going to play um, I'm trying to think of another college position I mean Richie Schaefer can't play third base Stephen Piscotty's now in the outfield at Stanford not that he's bad at third but he's kind of like a Garrett Atkins type anyway a guy's going to yeah. have to hit to be a third baseman um, you know Tyler Naquin not 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 playing center field, not a ton of power, and and that's really it uh, on the on the college position player standpoint. Yeah, it seems I mean, like every every almost every college position player has a big question mark. Mike Travis Jankowski hasn't hit for a lot of power this year. James Ramsey, you know, pretty split camp on James Ramsey by the way. Just talking to some of the guys I've talked to, I mean everyone sees the pluses. The Tim Tebow of Florida State, uh, but there you know that's a small outfield. So there's some real questions still on whether he's a center fielder or not. Some people think he has a shot in the dirt. Others completely dismiss it. You know, mm. He hasn't really played it in college. So he's just not a sure thing. He's certainly going to go, I think, back of the first supplemental, early second. I think he'll go a little bit higher than where his talent would dictate just because of the signability, the sure. intangibles, and the season he's had. Um, but they're just not a – Yeah, because a, he's a senior. Outside, right. Yeah. Outside of Zanino, though – is there a college position player riser that you can think of? Is there one out west? I'm trying to think of one in the mm-hmm. southeast. Well, Mitch Haniger, who he wrote up in Draft yes. Tracker, that's a guy. I mean, he's getting top 50 buzz, it sounds like, and he's a uh, physical specimen, you know, football player in high school. Um, a lot of pluses to his game, including power, arm strength, has some speed. Yep, yep. So that's he, – he's a good one. Uh, I think the one in my area that I'm that is jumping to mind uh, – I'll be interested to see where Brandon Thomas goes at Georgia Tech. Again, it's a mixed bag on that guy because he's not playing center field at Georgia Tech because they have Kyle Wren who's like a 65-70 runner. Thomas is about a 65-70 runner as well, much bigger, more physical. He's just not going to hit for the for corner outfield power. So you know he's basically the Zach Cone of this draft in a way in that he's a guy where you're projecting to be a center fielder and he's playing left. Unlike Zach Cone, he is hitting for average. Um, I think with that body, scouts want to know where the power is. So he's going to be interesting. I still think someone's going to jump up and take that guy in the first two rounds because he's a switch-hitting, good pro-body college position player, and there are not a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy who I think is going to jump up, uh, if he's a third- or fourth-round talent that will go higher than that is Nolan Fontana because he's performing. I didn't realize, Connor, this guy's got eight home runs. Wow. And he's always drawn a lot of walks. And he's made four errors this year. He's sure-handed, so he at least profiles as that. Sec- put him in second. I mean, if Ryan Terrio can have a ten-year big league career or uh, thereabouts, yeah. Nolan Fontana is better than Ryan Terrio. Uh, he's got a better profile because he's left-handed. He's not as fast as Terrio, but he's not slow. 
Um, I don't love Nolan Fontana in the first round. I think he's going to go in that supplemental or second yeah, round range. Yeah, I see that. Because there's no college middle infielders, and he fits that profile. Sure. So, uh, I'll, I, give you, I'll give you another guy. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who didn't make our top 60 but should have. It's Tom Murphy. Oh, yeah. Um, there's not a lot of catchers in this draft. Yeah. He's going to go good. I mean, I you know, he's a big, strong guy. I think he's uh, 6'1", 225. So, you know, but he actually moves really well behind the plate. He's a good receiver. Um, and there's and physicality got, to spare. Yeah, and he's got he's got power. Um, you don't have to project sounds on that like guy. He can hit. So he's got pretty good tools across the board. And in a, in a year where there's not too many catchers, I mean, I think he's going to go pretty good. In a year where there are not too many catchers, <laughs> uh, he 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 was physically as impressive as anybody on Team USA last summer among their position players. That wasn't a big time USA yeah. college national team. Yeah, especially in terms of physicality. I mean, like. Ticacello was so skinny at first. Naquin and Marrero are their two best position players. And they're they're just not – they didn't look like big leaguers yet. Right. They look like it in terms of how they play. They both play very well. Marrero looked great. But they're just not physically imposing guys. Right. Tommy Murphy, you're like, okay, I can see that guy either as a linebacker or in a big league uniform. Yeah. Huge shoulders. He's just a big physical dude. Yes. But, so let's go to the high school side because the high school side is where the position players are. Uh, whether it's guys like Stryker Trahan and Gavin Cicchini. Um, you know, Addison Russell's had a good spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Avery Romero kid in North Florida who's moving up draft boards because he hits. Uh, who, are, who are some other guys just nationally, in your mind, the high school position players who have done well this spring and, and moved and improved their draft stock? Well, Courtney Hawkins, you know, we yes. got to see him right here at the, the NHSI. I mean, he's, he's, that's, that's where we should have started. There's another physical specimen. I mean, that kid is built. I mean, he <laughs> he got muscles solid. on top of his muscles on top of his muscles yeah. and then he had the the athleticism with the with the backflip. That stands out. That's probably my favorite moment of the spring. <laughs> if you haven't already seen that, is that on the high school blog or the draft blog? Um, it's on the draft blog and it's on our on our YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was just baseball America. youtube.com/baseballamerica. Baseball video. America video. Yeah. Right. That's our YouTube channel. There's a lot of video there of, of draft guys who hadn't seen it. I guess actually the the safest bet High school position player is Albert Albert Almora. Is it not? I mean, he's the is he the surest? Yeah, bet? sure. I mean, he's uh, I mean, he's as polished as they come, and he's, um, you know, he can play center field. He's not, he's not a burner, but he he gets such he has such good instincts out there. He covers a lot of ground. He's I've had two scouts both tell me like that guy should be playing center field in the big leagues right now. And, like <laughs> just defensively, he's that good. Yeah. I mean, he just reads he reads pitches. He reads swings. He reads. Uh, he, he reads balls off the bat. He's just that advanced as a player, and uh, yeah, I, can I can't find anybody say a negative thing about Alberto <laughs> Almora. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy how good. <clears throat> excuse me, how good he is. And then the kind of his opposite, maybe not his opposite, but David Dahl is another center fielder, high school center fielder. In some ways, a better profile. I think he probably runs a little bit faster. Um, he's left-handed hitter, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the profile should be better, but and it's not like he has bad instincts. Somebody's knocking the instincts, right. but he just doesn't wow people like Almora does. Even though it tools-wise, it sounds like he should. Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, you know, he does have a little bit better speed, probably, but there there are questions about whether he'll be able to stick in center field or whether you know he'll have to move to a corner. And then with those questions come, well, if he has to move to a corner. Is he going to hit for enough power? Right. I mean, I think there there's definitely a split camp there. I mean, some guys like him in center field. Some guys think he's going to hit for power, but you know, yeah, I had a, all over the board. I had a guy throw like the uh, kind of a David Murphy for the Rangers with more speed, but like a guy where like yeah, he can play center field, but he's more of a left fielder, and yeah, he'll hit for average, but he's more of like a 15 home run power thing. So that's like the tweener kind of profile. Yeah. Again, if you don't like him, I think that's what you think he is. Um, but but his dra- and I guess his season's already over. Yeah. Here it is, end of April, and his season's already over. So this is a guy who's going to be a workout dude, and uh, his draft stock is going to fluctuate. I think a lot between now and June. And I think that there's he's going to be he's already sort of a split camp guy. He's going to be even more of a split camp guy. Yeah. Sounds like Correa, uh, Carlos Correa in Puerto Rico, isn't necessarily a split camp guy. But some teams like him better than others because they believe in him more as a having a chance to play shortstop. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I'm wrong. He sounds like a lot like Jordi Cabrera to me. Better version of Jordi Cabrera, but he sounds like Jordi Cabrera in some I ways think, to me. 
No, he he's got a better body than Jordi Cabrera. He's okay. not as thick okay. in the lower half. He's he's big. He's definitely going to be big. He's got broad shoulders, but he still has that real trim waist kind of the, the and, and long waist long legs. I mean, I think it's more of a Manny Machado kind of thing. Okay. I mean, well, there were there were people comment. who didn't think Machado was going to stay at shortstop, and that's the thing. And, and the similarities are that he's big, but he still moves well. His right. hands work. He's got a plus arm. Uh, so I think, I mean, he's going to get a chance to play there. Right. How how his body develops will kind of determine where he moves. But I mean, everything else is there. He's okay. got he's got some speed. Like I said, the arm is definitely there, and his hands are are very smooth. They they work really well. So like it it really does seem to me outside of Marrero, the first round infielders in this draft are going to be high school players. The guys who stay in the dirt are going to yeah. be in, are going to be yeah. high school players. And Schaefer, I mean. Even Schaefer, I think, you know, he, he could get a chance to say it third because it, he moves pretty well for his size, too, and his ar- he yeah. has the arm strength. His hands, I think, are the issue. I think his hands are the issue. I don't know what run grades people are putting on him, but to me, I just feel like Richie Schaefer has just got to go to right field. And, yeah, he, you know, he, he makes me think of when I look at him just physically and watch him swing. And, uh, I, I didn't see him this year. I saw him last year. He reminds me of James Darnell. Mm. He was at uh, South Carolina. Yeah. And similarly athletic and looks the part. It looks like he should stay in the dirt. Probably can. But when you have him in the dirt, you're always going to be looking for something better defensively. And you're always going to be talking about his defense not being up to par. So just stick him in right field or left field and just let him hit. Let him hit. And yeah. right-hand power is just hard to find. So I'm glad you brought him up. But we have Gavin Cicchini, who, and, and, and with two high school shortstops I wanted you to touch on, and Gavin Cicchini and Addison Russell. Uh, which of those guys do you like better? It sounds like Russell's a different dude than he was last summer and last fall on the showcase circuit because he's dropped some pounds. Yeah, that's the thing we keep hearing is he looks looks a lot better. And he was, I mean, he was never like a bad body guy. He just was kind of thick and, and was playing more third base on the showcase circuit because there are always guys, you know, that were a little bit better than him at shortstop on his team or whatever. Right. Um, another athletic guy, I mean, he's another guy I've seen do backflips. He was doing backflips. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice, all right. He was doing backflips kind of uh, on the sidelines for, at for Tournament che- Stars. For cheerleading? Um, no, I think for fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> Courtney Hawkins learned to do it on, as a cheerleader, correct? Right, right. His school, I guess, makes all the athletes do a little cheerleading. and That's awesome. He gained some respect for, for the cheerleaders by, by realizing it was a little harder than he thought it was. So. And he had to wear the skirt, so very tough. <laughs> no, he did not have to wear the skirt. Um, but, yeah, Russell, I guess, has slimmed down. I, I heard he dropped, like, 25 pounds, which is That's incredible. I need to give him a call and figure out how the hell he did that because I could use to <laughs> lose about three of those. <laughs> You're being too mean to yourself. Um, but, yes, we, we both this – the, this is the Baseball America podcast where we need to take fat uh, weight loss tips from uh, – from him and Tanner Rahir, basically. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm not going to be doing the Tanner Rahir thing, so I'm hoping Addison <laughs> Russell has something a little bit easier for us. Um, but also, uh, you know, th- these these are high school. Oh, I mentioned Tanner Rahir is a California high school infielder. Uh, Sounds like CJ and the host is kind of off the board going to school. Corey Seager, I guess the other guy I kind of want to mm. ask you about. It's like he's probably moving up these charts again because the guy can hit. Um, signability is a question with him. He's committed to South Carolina. We've had a lot of players in the past who've been South Carolina guys who go. I'm thinking of, like, I know this is a long time ago, but Drew Meyer in 1999 yeah, uh, I think turned down the second round of the Dodgers. So. I think the, the the combination with Seager that, <clears throat> you know, scouts are saying makes him a tough sign is that uh, he's committed to South Carolina, like you said. He's, he's got Boris, which is always, you know, a thing. And then it's uh, a thing. His, his brother had such a, a good time in college, had a good experience in college. So, you know, I mean – you add it all up and and got to the big leagues in like less than two years. Yeah, so and it wasn't even as good of a prospect as his older his right, younger brother. Right, much different players. I mean, Seager's a lot more phys- or Corey is a lot more physical and uh, you know has has more power, so more of a profile third baseman. But they both have pure swings. Runs in the family must be nice. Yes, <laughs> must be nice. The last guy I got to ask you about, uh, Connor. I'll wrap up the podcast. Is Lance McCullers Jr. Obviously, a personal favorite of mine is because I enjoyed his father's work quite mm-hmm. a bit. And Lance Sr. and is on the same train as us as far as uh, he, he needs some tips from Addison Russell. But uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just called Lance McCullers Sr. fat. My fantasy team is named after Lance McCullers. Um, but Junior, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, he was the dude. To me, in my head, Lance McCullers Jr. is Kyle Drabeck. 
I know he doesn't have the makeup issues that Drabeck had, but how is he different from Kyle Drabeck, and what is his? Why did he go from being the top player in the high school class like two years ago to being just kind of like, um, not an afterthought, but just one of the guys now, a, a first round, first round probable guy, but. Why is he not at the top of this class? Anymore? I mean, for me, it's easy. It's it's the fact that when you're ranked as the top guy, you know, two or three years before your year, there's only one way to go. I mean, great point. I mean, it doesn't mean that we've soured on Lance. McCullough no, either. not at all. I mean, it's just the fact that he is what he is. I mean, he's not super physical. He's kind of a smaller guy. He's muscular, but he's not. You know, your he doesn't have your prototypical ace frame. I mean, he's like. Six one, you know, and not six four, which matters, and it does matter. And uh, height does not determine heart, though. It doesn't. That's true. But uh, what's that uh, Twitter hashtag? H D M H. Height doesn't measure heart. Yeah, there That's you go. It. That's it. But uh, I mean, he he he's just kind of been the same guy, and it, it's still really good. I mean, he's still you know throwing ninety seven miles an hour. He's got a a nasty slider. But the thing with him is that he's his, his command isn't as good, you know, as it would need to be, you know, to to, to start long term, I think. And, and that, his dad, I mean, let's face it, his dad's track record helps, I think, and hurts. Yeah. And his dad was a second-round pick at a high school. Um, I'm in this Stratomatic-type league, down in my league, and I had Lance McCullers Jr., a senior, in 1986. He was a stud in 1986. Let me just read some of these stats. 136 innings, 70 outings, 7 starts. 136 innings. That's like Mike, Mark Eichhorn territory almost. Only 103 hits allowed, but it was 58 walks, 136 innings. In the next year, 123 innings, all in relief. No shocker that he broke down. Uh, 59 walks. Uh, his career walk rate per nine innings was 4.3. I think that they're, whether they're older scouts who saw him, and, and believe me, Tom Kochman, I think, saw Lance McCullough Sr., Tim Wilkin, I guarantee you, saw Lance McCullers Sr. Chris Buckley, I bet you saw Lance McCullers Sr. There are a lot of long-time Florida-based scouts who saw Lance McCullers Sr. And they didn't see him in high school. They saw him as a big leaguer. Yeah. And that's in their minds. And it should be, you know? It should yeah. be in their minds. Yeah. And I think see the son, similarly physical, similar arm, similar breaking stuff, maybe a little bit better. Because I don't remember how good Lance McCullough's stuff was, but I know he was a badass. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so was Junior. I and mean, so was Junior, the, exactly. The more recent comparison is Stetson Alley. Okay. Uh, I mean, they're both, they kind of have, Stetson Alley's a little more physical. But they're but, both thick bodies. But they're guys. both middle infield pitchers. Interesting. And, you know, the question always was, where's I'm gonna Stetson Alley going to By the way, I'm calling Stetson Alley Clay. I'm, I'm not going to call him Ali. I'm going to call him Clay. <laughs> Sorry. That's my favorite uh, Stetson Alley joke. I'll say this. Lance McCullers Jr. is better than Stetson Alley. Yes, I think he, he, I agree there is, while there are questions with McCullers Jr. and and how much feel he has, how many strikes he's going to throw, he's going to throw more strikes than Stetson Alley. I think that's a, setting the bar low <laughs> right now. That's setting the bar low. But I still think mean, he's going to be a first rounder. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, and, and take you the know, right but fit. you know, middle of the first round, I think, and um, but that's the thing. Just just being the guy a few years out. Is good, but it's like, you know, it's it's hard to stay the guy when when your name's out there two or three years before your draft year. So. And that, and you know, again, the reason I comp him to Drebeck is because that was the case with Drebeck, big league dad, sure, shortish yeah. right-hander. It doesn't sound like he has as much maybe as much as athleticism and feel for pitch as Drebeck. But can we really evaluate that properly, considering that he's basically just been a showcase and even relief pitcher in high school? He's really never started for a long duration of time, like correct? this year, yeah. Do you think he has a chance to start, or does his delivery preclude that in your no, mind? I mean, I think he'll get a chance, but, um, you know, I think he's going to ultimately wind up in the bullpen. Because, I mean, you know, if if he starts, if he gets into trouble, I mean, you could fast-track him as a bullpen guy. I mean, the stuff is good, you know, you can kind of, he'd be able to move quicker in the bullpen. I mean, that's usually the case. and Right. So... I think that's where he where he winds up. That makes a lot of sense. I just thought we needed to make sure we addressed Lance McCullers Jr. in a podcast. I know you get asked about him a ton on Twitter. All the time. Same thing. I mean, the same reason is because he's just been that, that big name for so long. Anybody else in this year's draft class you wanted to hit up before we uh, wrap up the podcast? Any any, any risers or followers? You got any personal cheese balls out there, Connor? Mm. Besides Marcus Stroman. 
I don't know that anybody gets to claim Marcus Freeman as a person. Well, hold off. Let's do a let's do another let's do a roundtable uh, podcast. That, that'll be coming closer later. to the draft, and we can all talk about cheese balls then. I, I think, yeah, I'm not sure if I've settled on a cheese ball yet, but I've, I'm close. Got I've got a cheese ball in mind. Well, mine's still the same as it has been for the past three years because he hasn't signed. <laughs> yeah, he has to be your cheese ball. <laughs> You're locked into to that cheese ball like an anchor. Yeah, like a big uh, yep. again more fat jokes anchor. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Again, send any questions you ever have, whether it's draft-related, uh, pro-related, minors, big leagues, college, whatever. You can always send questions to podcast at baseballamerica.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter. He's at Connor Glassy. I'm at John Manuel BA. We are at Baseball America, and we're going to wrap up the edition of the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.